Hi, good morning. I'm Joanna with the Mariah Mitchell Association, and you're listening to The Nature of Nantucket. And I'm here today with Lou Parati, who is the Director of Conservation Programs for the Roger Williams Park Zoo. And he's going to talk to us about beetles. Welcome, Lou. Thanks, Joanne. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, happy to happy to talk beetles. Uh, <laughs> so can you just give us a, um, a little bit of history and background? I mean, I will share that I know you have a, a long term relationship with the Mariah Mitchell Association. and We've done this beetle project together. But let's um, take that back a little ways and share with our listeners one, a little bit about the beetles, and then a little bit about the project. So let's start there. Okay, great. Um, yeah, it's, it's the American burying beetle. Um, it's, a, it's a carrion beetle. It's the largest of the genus Nicrophorus, which are burying beetles, um, who actually find a fresh dead vertebrate item and will bury it underground, strip it of fur and feather. Um, they secrete anal and oral secretions on it that basically keep it embalmed, um, keep it from rotting. Uh, it wards off any fungal and bacterial growth. Um, just, just amazing. They're little chemical factories. Um, and they use that resource to rear their larvae. So they lay the eggs once the carcass is prepared. They lay the eggs nearby the carcass. Uh, once the larvae hatch, um, they're about as big as a grain of rice. And the female beetle will carry those to that carrion item, place them on the carrion item. And at that stage, the the larvae aren't strong enough to chew on their own. So they actually stroke the mandibles of the adults to solicit feedings like baby birds. So these beetles show some of the highest uh, biparental care um, in the insect world besides social insects, which is really fascinating. Um, they're quite large. They're about 35 millimeters big. Um, they are federally protected by the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. They were listed as endangered. Um, but a year ago, they were downlisted to threatened due to pressures out west. Um, the beetle has disappeared from 95% of its historic range. So it used to range from 35 states from the east coast all the way out to just east of the Rocky Mountains. Um, the only place you can find them in the entire eastern half of the range now is on Block Island, Rhode Island, um, right off the coast of Rhode Island, a small little island. Um, and then there's uh, five states that have populations in the Midwest, uh, South Dakota, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Arkansas. So our little Block Island population is the only known genetics of the species in the entire eastern half of the range. Um, it was listed as endangered in 1989. A recovery plan was drafted for the species. And that recovery plan, part of that was, of course, maintaining existing populations bringing some into captivity to see if we could captive rear them and then conduct reintroduction initiatives in former pieces in, in, you know, historic range. And ours being on an island, that's where Nantucket came into play. Nantucket's very similar to Block Island um, in habitat type. The fact that it lacks any, uh, a lot of competition for that carrion, like mammalian scavengers. Um, there's no raccoons, skunks, fox, or any of that on, on Nantucket as, as there's none on block. Um, so it just fit all the criteria of a perfect release site. Um, so in 1994, the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service approached us, the Rajuni's Park Zoo, and asked if we'd like to be uh, the facility that breeds beetles for this Nantucket reintroduction. And back then, it was like, oh, my God, you know, insect conservation, this is 
this is unheard of. This is like cutting edge stuff, you know, and it's, it's probably going to, this was before the pollinator crisis and all this good stuff. So, you know, I saw the value of insect conservation because, you know, biologically the value of insects in the ecosystem is, um, you know, invaluable for sure. I mean, without insects, we would be knee deep in rotting things. We wouldn't have food. Um, they, they truly are the little things that run the planet. So 94, we got our first colony at the zoo. We began to captive rear them. And that's when we started to take them on to Nantucket. And uh, we would do annual releases of beetles and the numbers varied um, as, uh, as to how well we did captive breeding them. And we've gotten a lot better at that over the years. We've learned a lot. Um, a lot of the original protocols were developed by an Andrea Kozel, Dr. Kozel from the Boston University. Uh, which a lot of her protocols we still use to this day. Um, so then we released uh, over 3,000 beetles on Nantucket from about 1994 to 2006. And then we stopped putting beetles on the island. And then we went to a two-week kind of trap monitoring session where we would just monitor for absence and distribution. Um, and um, any beetle we caught, we'd, we'd pair them up. Uh, with males or females, and we'd give them a quail or a rat to kind of bolster reproduction. And we started to see our population not only growing, but distributing all over the eastern half of the island. Um, typically, out most of our sites are out in the Middle Moors um, on Nantucket Conservation Foundation properties, um, Mass Audubon properties, and uh, land bank properties. So, um, thanks to all those partners for sure as well. Um, and then once we started that extensive monitoring phase, that's when we really started to partner with Mariah Mitchell. And um, they've just been great because, I mean, you're all Nantucketers. You know how, how hard it is to find housing out there in the summertime. And, you know, that's one valuable in-kind asset that, that Mariah Mitchell always supplied to the project was allowed the researchers to have housing to come out um, to do this extensive trapping and population monitoring. Um, that, that needs to be done if we're going to make this project a success. So, um, and with that, we've, I've seen a lot of Mariah Mitchell natural science interns go through the pro, you know, go through the program, our project out in the field and many who have become naturalists and wildlife biologists themselves now, which is really, really nice to see. And many that I still keep in contact with. And, um, so it's been great for all of us. And, and, uh, again, we, we value our partnership with Mariah Mitchell and, in their dedication to science and, and all things Nantucket. Um, so, so yeah. Lou, tell me, what do, the, what do these beetles look like? And if someone was walking along the moors or any of the other natural trails around the island, would they see something like this? Um, typically not, they're, they're a nocturnal beetle. Um, we actually, one year we did, I, I was actually in town and I do have a tattoo of one on my arm. And uh, <laughs> somebody had seen that tattoo and said, hey, I see those beetles all the time. And, and there's four other species on the island of Nycrophorus that look just like them. Um, but this one's, the American bearing beetle is the largest and the only one that has a uh, bright orange. Let me see here. Are we on film? No. Okay. <laughs> So they're quite large. They're black and black and orange. So they have, uh, you know, their background colors black with orange markings on the elytra, which are their wing covers. And then the thorax shield is all orange uh, on the American bearing beetle. But um, like I was saying, we had this mushroom farmer. That I guess they were making slurries of dead fish and things that they feed to their mushrooms. 
And of course, these are carrion beetles that are going to be attracted to the smell of anything decaying and dying. Um, they were getting our beetles in their pockets. So um, that would be the only way. You know, we had another case where a fisherman had left some bait minnows uh, in the bottom of a dinghy that was on the beach, and, and there were some beetles found on that. Um, but other than that, no, I mean, we, even, even us researchers, we know very little of what this beetle does when it's not reproducing in underground. So the more we know, the less we know. Right, right. Okay. So the study, tell me a little bit about the study of these beetles and, and what you're learning. I, I'm, I'm understanding that, it, you know, particularly it's a good, the conditions are good because we don't have some of that other biodiversity, right? That it's limited because of the predators. So that's good. But tell us what you're learning from the beetles. Well, um, that's one great thing about Nantucket and working on an island is, you know, it's kind of like a contained laboratory. So, you know, we've, we've used it to, for a lot of reasons, you know, to see, number one, would it be possible to reintroduce lab-reared beetles to, to its historic range? Um, and, you know, we've develop, developed methodologies on that island, trapping methodologies, provisioning methodologies, um, surveying methodologies that are now used uh, in reintroductions of the species in other parts of its range, Ohio and Missouri right now. Um, St. Louis Zoo is working uh, captive rearing them and releasing in Missouri. And then we have the Cincinnati Zoo and the Wilds uh, captive rearing them and releasing them in Ohio. So, um, you know, they've taken our protocols and have learned a lot from us. I've actually had folks from those zoos out to Nantucket um, to see what we're doing and actually stayed a season with us um, before they started their projects. Um, so it's been value, valuable for us um, for, for that reason alone. Um, but we're learning a lot about the beetles as well. And, um, you know, one big question we have is that, you know, this beetle needs, you know, a dead vertebrate. And, and the American bearing beetle is a specialist. And, you know, it needs something between 80 and 180 grams or can't utilize it. And we all know, you know, any species that's a specialist in nature, if something goes a whack one way or the other, they're usually the first to go. So I guess first, let me state what we feel some of the reasons for decline of the species was, why did it disappear from 95% of its range? Okay. And, you know, a lot of correlation was done to the loss of the passenger pigeon with this beetle. You can almost map the decline of the American bearing beetle with the loss of the passenger pigeon. So, you know, the passenger pigeon, we all know, is a very prolific species. The old timers say it would blacken the sun out when they flew by. So there was a lot of mortality in that species and they were the perfect size for the American bearing beetle. So then you throw in habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, then you change species composition, you push your predators out, more scavengers come in, and then species lost. And in this case, we lost passenger pigeon. In the east here, we lost heath hen, uh, which used to be all over the islands, which would have been a bird that would have had mortality in chicks. That would be the perfect size for the species. So now you have, and even out west, Carolina parakeets, uh, grouse, those kinds of things. Um, so now you have less habitat, fragmented habitat, and then you have less resource and more competition for that resource. So the insect loses. And then you throw in modern-day stressors like pesticide use, nighttime lighting, 
um, all these things just kind of exasperate its, its loss, sadly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we felt as though Nantucket and, you know, one of the big pieces of the puzzle is, is there enough available, natural available carrion to support a beetle population on Nantucket? And we felt that, yeah, you know, uh, seabird chicks, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, Norway rat out there, um, of course, towies and morning doves. And so we figured them possibly could be for sure. Um, certainly a lot of land conservation going on there and habitat maintenance um, that, you know, wasn't happening 100 years ago um, and is now. So. Um, we felt we had good chances, so and we did. And um, you know, we had that population booming until about 2011, and we decided that okay, we're going to stop kind of holding our baby's hand. We're going to let it go. We're not going to provision anymore. We're going to see if these beetles, the numbers that we've created, can sustain on their own, because that's basically the ultimate goal, right? We want to create a self-sustaining population. We don't want to have to supplement if we don't have to. Um, and we did start to see uh, a bit of a decline in the numbers uh, from 2011 up to currently. Um, so that's when in 2018, we decided to start captive rearing again and start uh, putting more beetles back on the island. And then we feel as though, you know, because all our eggs are in that one block island basket where the only extant population remains, that it would be beneficial to the species to have a kind of an insurance colony, so to speak, on Nantucket Island. And it doesn't cost the zoo a lot of money. And, you know, thanks to Mariah Mitchell and the housing that they supply for us, it doesn't cost us a lot of money to come out there, track for a couple of weeks, hold the beetles back, release some, and then give everybody a nice fresh quail and rat uh, carcass uh, to bolster the population. So that's, that's our plan moving forward. We're gonna just, you know, crank the numbers of the species up on the island out there. And, um, and yeah, and, and call that a, a success. You know, um, I mean, we were the first to do it, um, you know, in this type of large scale. I mean, this, this beetle project is probably the longest running terrestrial invertebrate conservation initiative, certainly in North America, not the world, um, which is really exciting. Um, so exciting, in fact, that Dr. Jane Goodall contacted me and wanted to write a whole chapter in, in her book, uh, A Hope for uh, uh, Animals in Their World, bringing in endangered species back from the brink. So there's a whole chapter in Jane Goodall's book about um, this project, uh, which was uh, very exciting. I still keep trying to invite Jane to the island every year. I, I, invite, <laughs> I invite her out there, but she's, she's a very busy lady. and then, of course, sadly, COVID, but uh, I'm not giving up. We're, we're going to get Jane out there to see the project one of these days. She loves the beetle. She, she writes me letters all the time, asks me, how's, how's the project? How are the beetles? Um, she just really adores it, um, which is great. You know, it, it gave the, the project international um, recognition and fame, which is really sure. good. Sure. Well, I can imagine that the beetle is important in her line of work as well. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's a high end recycler. You know, I mean, again, without species like this beetle, uh, we'd be knee deep, deep, knee deep and decaying, you know, biomatter for sure. 
So what other types of studies are there with regard to this beetle and, and uh, in terms of its other potential uses? Because you just brought that up, right? Like, you know, are there, you know, studies that are involved like with, with using it in terms of garbage or, you know, landfills or, you know, where, where are the applications? Yeah, inter- interesting you should ask that. Um, well, before I go into how it could possibly benefit us, you know, we did do a study, a really unique and cutting edge study with Purdue University on the island over the last couple of years, where using stable isotopes, that's all we have to do is take a tiny little clipping off the elytra of the beetle, and they can tell us what that larva, when that beetle was a larva, what carcass it was reared on. Yeah, they can tell us what they are utilizing in the landscape, which was a a piece of this puzzle that we didn't even never knew or ever thought we'd ever be able to measure. And, wow. and not only did we do it on Nantucket, but we did it on Block Island as well. And uh, that's given us some extensively valuable, valuable information. Um, and, and that can be applied to selecting release sites based on, you know, what species that they're utilizing and important to them as, as reproductive resource. Um, so we're really excited about that. We got another year of that to go on Nantucket as well. Um, we're going to collect uh, samples again this year. Um, and then as far as, you know, I've always said those those secretions that they use to prepare that carcass, somebody needs to look at that. And that's certainly beyond my pay grade. That that takes a, uh, you know, quite a brain power and in, in, uh, know how to do that. Uh, but from what I understand, uh, Oklahoma University is now working on that. So we're actually going to help fund that project. They're looking at uses for, you know, the way I see it. I mean, from what I've seen it can do to carcasses. I mean, this stuff can manipulate and melt bone, which is really interesting. Uh, I mean, I can see it used, you know, for battlefield wounds, gangrenous wounds, you know, keeping wounds from getting infected. Uh, I could see it being made into maybe a spray that can be sprayed in like meatpacking plants or, you know, to keep bacterial growth down. I mean, I think, the you know, the implication of uses for this stuff could be uh, once we can figure out what's in it and uh, how, to, how to actually harvest it and manufacture it or whatever process it's going to be, um, I, I think it could be very, very beneficial um, in so many ways. Well, yeah, I think, you know, beetles in general are kind of like the backbone of biodiversity, right? They are. There's, I think there's more species of beetle than uh, all plants and animals combined. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, our current culture is certainly on top of um, kind of bringing those practices back to especially like regenerative farming and some of those other applications. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Lou, tell me when you're going to be on Nantucket this summer. We have always targeted the same time every year and got to make people listen to the show probably have run into the Beatle guys, uh, the Beatle team uh, with our weird boots in the morning. Usually we're at the green getting coffee. Um, but um, we usually uh, mid-June is Beatle season. So usually around the 14th of June. Um, and then we trapped right through until like 23rd, 24th. And then uh, we do all our releases and provisioning right at the end of that. Um, trap session uh, around the 23rd, 24th. And then once we provision everybody, we go back for one day, 11 days uh, after the provisioning event to dig up 30% of those broods to just kind of gauge the success of that particular provisioning event. Are there larvae? What stage? How many? 
And then from there, we can extrapolate what our F1 population is going to be for the year. And then we go out and do a one-week quick late summer trapping to catch those young, newly uh, e-closed beetles, mark them, um, and then that gives us an overwinter survivorship number um, for the following year. So, okay. you know, the ones, the ones we mark in the fall, we try to re-catch as many of those as we can in the, late, in the uh, first spring trapping of the previous year. Well, excellent. Well, thank you for um, coming on our podcast today. I'll, I'll let our viewers, I'm sure they are listeners rather, are happy to know that if they see you out there, they know you're doing good work. Yeah. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you in June, Lou. Absolutely. We'll be in touch for sure. And, and every member of the public has been always invited uh, out to our releases. And, you know, we would love to have you out there and we'd love to share this, this amazing project uh, with, with uh, the folks in Nantucket. Well, we'll make sure they're informed. If you uh, have been listening, I'm Joanna Roach with the Mariah Mitchell Association. Our podcast is called The Nature of Nantucket. And we have been speaking with Lou Parati of the Roger Williams Park Zoo and an expert on boring beetles. Thank you, Lou. Thanks.